Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Rehabilitation at the Brisbane Lions, Selwyn Griffith. Thanks for tuning in to episode 109 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we have a really interesting guest in Selwyn Griffith. So Selwyn, as we discussed in the episode uh, a million times, uh, has come through uh, a different route to many SNC coaches and sports scientists out there because he's come through as a, an osteopath. So in this episode, we discuss at length uh, how he's got to where he's got to and how his background as an osteopath has kind of molded his practice and, and the way he goes about things, which I think is really interesting and really interesting and definitely something um, something to learn from the kind of for, for the guys that have taken the more traditional route. So just before we get into the chat with Selwyn, uh, we have a Sports Science Minute from Coach Me Plus with Doug McKenney, who is going to discuss uh, something that's on the minds of many practitioners out there, and that's training stress balance. Uh, obviously, he's been on the minds for uh, quite a while now, but it's great to get Doug's take on it um, from the guys at Coach Me Plus. So, I hope you enjoy the chat with Doug, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the chat with Selwyn, which will follow immediately. So, enjoy, and I will speak to you soon. Hi, this is Doug McKenney with Coach Me Plus with your Sports Science Minute. A lot of uh, cyclists and triathletes utilize training stress balance as a real effective tool for, you know, monitoring their training on a daily basis. And ultimately what it does is it gives them the freedom to know that at one, when it comes to their competition day, they're going to be at their highest level of performance. And at the same time, you know, it'll reduce their chance for injury. And essentially that's what the goal should be for uh, sports coaches. You know, many of them don't really know that the planning of practices beyond the X's and O's and the execution of drills and skills uh, should include, you know, fitness tracking. And what it does, it assures that their athletes, their, their players will, you know, go into that game situation at a higher level of performance uh, because this tracking of acute training load and chronic training load over a period of time really you know, help them to know that they'll be at that point. There are uh, two key components to this, and that is the chronic training load, which is a measurement of intensity or load over a lengthy period of time, which would be somewhere between 28 and 42 days. And the second component or factor to it is the acute training load, which is a measurement of intensity or load uh, of training of day-to-day and you know, that's for a short period of time, somewhere between three and seven days. So if you look at it from a graph perspective, what you'd be looking at is, um, you know, let's say one month's work, and you can actually see the peaks and valleys of intensity of training. And when you're up in those peak levels of, of training, and you knew it, your design, your practices were designed that way, um, you can see that peak level, and then you can see those bottom off levels. And where do they fit? And ultimately what training stress balance does is it helps you to answer some of these questions that 
you know, are generally asked all the time, are we working too hard? Are we training hard enough? And will we be fresh enough for that next game or competition? And so what you need to know is that you, you have to track this stuff on a, on a day-to-day basis. And whether it's mechanical load, um, which would include speed and distance and uh, stops and starts, accelerations and decelerations, and, or metabolic load, which would be, you know, specifically related to heart rate type stuff. Or, you know, you can use a rate of perceived exertion, which is another method to be able to look at how difficult or how straining or how intense the training is over a period of time. If you have, if you're collecting this stuff day to day, then what you actually have is your acute training load and you're graphing it alongside your chronic load. By looking at this big picture of things um, and, and mapping it out and looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, we have a peak competition on Saturday afternoon and I want to make sure that those six days before that, you know, our training is right in line with, with being able to be at the highest level of performance and reduce the chance for injury. And, and I believe that, you know, training stress balance is one of the best methods for doing this. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking with Head of Rehab at the Brisbane Lions, Selwyn Griffith. So welcome to the podcast, Selwyn. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you and get the opportunity to share a little bit of insight into into what I do. Absolutely, mate. So do you just want to give us a little bit of a, because you've got a bit of a, quite a unique background uh, in, in how you came to your position. Do you just want to give us a little bit of um, detail around that and maybe... Uh, Maybe background education. Yeah, so I uh, studied in Melbourne initially, so uh, did a Bachelor of Applied Science and a Master's of Osteopathy at RMIT, and that basically took me into initially working in private practice uh, as an osteopath and uh, initially in Melbourne and then made my way to the Gold Coast uh, in North Queensland and, and basically from there worked in a private uh, osteopathic facility and then uh, in an also a exercise rehab um, basically gym facility as well where I'd work predominantly one-on-one and sometimes in small groups with uh, with amateur semi-professional athletes and uh, about five years ago got the opportunity to to work part-time with the Brisbane Lions as an as an osteopath and just consult a couple of days a week which was an opportunity that I definitely couldn't turn down because uh, I played AFL as a as a junior and have always had a love for the sport. So, uh, yeah, basically started just uh, working with the medical team and and uh, any time I could get extra time with seeing how they ran the program and what was happening, I'd just spend extra time there and was fortunate enough at the end of that year for them to offer me a full-time position and have been full-time ever since, uh, basically transitioning from pure medical now into uh, into more the performance and medical side. So initially was helping out with uh, the injury prevention and what we term athletic development component, uh, and then into developing strength programs for our one- to four-year athletes and now uh, as head of uh, rehabilitation for uh, for the Lions, which has been a, a great transition over the last uh, four or five years. 
Do you just want to give us a little bit of a just an insight into osteopathy itself and maybe kind of where your head's at when it comes to um, when it first came to you getting involved with the Lions with regards to the work that you were doing compared to maybe how you thought compared to the the, the way other guys thought? Yeah, so I guess the, the big thing with osteopathy is it's different in, in every place in the world really. Uh, so in America they're seen as orthopedics and, and actual uh, GPs, whereas here in Australia we're we're seen as primary healthcare practitioners in the form of manual therapy. So, uh, you know, you wouldn't see an osteopath necessarily working in the hospital sector. They're predominantly in private practice and uh, in small clinics or large uh, sports medical clinics. So for from my end, it's predominantly a manual therapy component. And uh, I think that's slight the, the the slight difference that we offer I guess from uh, say how some of the physios are initially trained here in Australia the benefit from osteopathy is from day one you're just uh, taught to to treat and to to feel the body to to watch the body move and and we don't have to uh, delve into uh, hospital care or um you know, senior care or anything like that. So it's a real benefit from day one. You just start to feel how the body moves, see how the body moves, and and you're you're starting to treat basically from day one. So for a five year degree where you're developing your the your manual therapy skills, I think that was one thing that definitely accelerated my progress. And uh, basically, the the lions uh, were looking for someone to to help with uh, management of uh, some of their spinal and, and kind of pelvic issues as uh, AFL is quite a high impact and high load sport, but it's also predominantly an asymmetrical sport. So uh, they were finding that they were having uh, a few low back issues and some pelvic issues, uh, obviously groin and hips being uh, such a large component of what the athletes do day to day. So they uh, thought that it just might be of best interest to see if uh, having someone with, I guess, a different background and a, and a different experience could offer uh, different opinions. And I just, day one, kind of, uh, it was more so come in and uh, make sure that I was just facilitating whatever the rest of the medical team uh, wanted and, and thought was, was best for the athlete. So there wasn't really uh, a case of, all right, uh, Selwyn, you're the osteopath, you're going to do this, and he's the physio, he's going to do that. It really, from day one, was a collaborative approach, and the the only thing that really differed was my skill set from a manual therapy perspective was slightly different to the physio's skill set, uh, but how we were applying it, you know, to the to the tissues or the joints was, yeah, didn't differ too much. Mm-hmm. So why isn't the more people come from the osteopath? background or do they it's just called something else other you know uh, in australia or around the world well i think i think uh, osteopathy probably just hasn't uh hasn't been able to break into the uh the high performance sports market as well as uh what it would like as a as i guess an occupation um now whether that is because we we don't have a 
specialised kind of sports program uh, offered like uh, in physio here in Australia. You can do a Masters of Sports Physio or a, a specialisation in sports physio, which is probably something that, you know, that accelerates that next level of physiotherapist to the top level and, um and I, it's probably the thing that I've been very fortunate is, is I've been exposed to to some of the, the the best sports physios in Australia, I believe. And um, so their skill set that they get from that program is is definitely a little bit more than what um, osteopaths are offered in their five year degree. Uh, but also, you know, unfortunately, in the high high performance sports uh, areas, kind of. Uh, you don't want to uh, change things too much. So bringing in a, an osteopath or a chiropractor or these things can sometimes um, cause a little bit of disharmony. So it's, I think it's also a case of finding the right personalities to fit within a collaborative environment. I, I definitely think there's there's opportunity there for osteos and chiros to complement um, a collaborative high-performance environment. It's just all about finding the right personalities. Uh, you see in the UK, there's definitely uh, osteopaths have done well at working within high-performance sports uh, environments over there and there's definitely been um, a lot of exposure with them with Olympic athletes and, and working um, around the Olympic sports. But, yeah, definitely here in Australia in in professional sports, in AFL and and rugby league, rugby union, there still isn't a huge um, a huge exposure of osteopathy at that level. But there, there definitely are a few other guys in the AFL that have started to to work with a few teams. So it's great to see, and I think long term it'll definitely be beneficial because you just get people sharing different experiences and different ideas and at the end of the day we're all after the same thing we want to provide the best environment for the athlete to prosper themselves from a performance perspective but also from trying to prevent injury and and uh increase uh you know um return to play time frames and those things so in the in the early days when you were kind of solely an osteopath how were you, mm. how we, what were your roles and how did you kind of plug into the day-to-day workings around the S&C coaches, the sports scientists and the physios? So I predominantly dealt with the, the head of medical and, and the uh, other full-time physiotherapists. So basically I'd come in uh, one or two days a week depending on the, the training and playing schedule and basically they'd give me a quick snapshot of, All right, this is – what's going on with our playing group at the moment. These guys have, you know, this issue and, and uh, this guy got this corky on the weekend or, or he's had some niggling groin issues uh, over the last few weeks and, you know, and then they might provide some data on some of their screening stuff, which then I would just use to facilitate my examination and then my treatment of the athlete. And then if I thought that, something needed to change, whether it was from a, a gym perspective or maybe their field training, I'd just uh, basically give that information back to the, the head of medical and the, the head strength coach and then they would facilitate that. So they were pretty open with any ideas that I had. They just said, you know, 
see what you find and what you think and we want to know. Uh, we're not saying we're going to change every guy's program just because you said something, but because it's a new set of eyes and um, a new way of, I guess, evaluating, they were really open to it. So it worked really well initially. And then when I wasn't treating, I'd just try and basically be a fly on the wall. So I'd just uh, head down to the gym and, and watch guys lift and, and, you know, help them if they needed it or, or help the SNC staff if they needed anything. And that really helped develop my relationship with the other, the other, um, staff members in the high performance department. But it also kind of, uh, got the players to, to understand why I was there a little bit more and develop my relationship with them. So then when I was explaining, all right, this is what I think you need to change or this is what we're going to do to try and improve uh, your movement, they they definitely bought into it a lot more. Just before we move on, talk me through a corky. <laughs> a, a corky is basically just a muscle contusion. So so when it, when someone's had an impact uh, and you get the, the swelling uh, around the muscle. So uh, typically we see quad corkies or, uh, or calf, calf corkies okay. in AFL. So it's about you, usually it's someone else's knee impacting into one of our guys' thighs or calves and, and creating a muscle contusion. But, yeah, we, we just call them corkies. No, that's good, mate. I just, yeah, I just thought I'd clear up for the non, uh, non-Aussies out there. <laughs> no, that's fine. I we play, have, I, I we have a little, a little bit. Got a me, little sorry. bit of different lingo. I played to it as if I knew what it was, but I didn't. I'm just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. So when we were chatting beforehand, um, we had a little uh, chat about manual therapy versus exercise therapy. Do you just want to give your your kind of take on, on that scenario? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation happening at the moment with, uh, you know does too much hands-on, uh, create a dependency for the athletes and then, you know, the, 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 they never truly understand how they can help their body and help their movement versus, all right, let's, let's just get this guy moving and we, we're not going to treat him. And there's, a, there's definitely a happy medium. I think uh, Dan Paff talks really well about it, that uh, performance triad of having the the coach, the athlete, and the therapist, and and how they integrate together. So I definitely, in my first uh, year with the Lions, like because my role was primarily just an osteopath, you know, I would I would predominantly just treat, and I wouldn't do too much um, in regards to exercise prescription and and taking them into the gym. Whereas now, uh, with my rehab guys and and even the healthy squad guys, I'll I might treat for a little bit and we'll assess their movement pattern and then I'll get them off the table and we'll go into the gym and, and we'll basically groove that movement pattern. So I'll find what, what movement do they feel most comfortable with? What, if they're, if they're coming back from an injury, uh, so let's say, uh, they're coming back from an ankle injury, an ankle sprain and they're still, uh, their ankle range of motion is still down, but I can treat it a certain way and it improves it. And then how do I get them into the gym and maintain that range, whether it's through a squat pattern, a lunge pattern, uh, anything, a step up pattern. And so, yeah, I'm probably, um, am less, uh, manual therapy and a little bit more movement prescription, but 
uh, I definitely think there's a, a happy medium between the two and the benefit of, of using both is you educate the athlete at the same time and I think that's the most important thing is if you can change it with just a little bit of manual therapy and then you take them into the gym and you educate them about the movement pattern that helps facilitate that or maintain that movement, then all of a sudden they start to, to fill in the blanks and they understand what they need to do in order to prepare their body for training or prepare their body for a gym session or even recover from a session in order to, to make sure that that restriction or that inhibition of that muscle doesn't continue. So has your mentality towards that changed as you've been exposed more to the kind of S&C coaches and the kind of gym-based guys down there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've been very fortunate to probably get exposed to um, a few guys like Dan um, who travelled to Australia and spent a little bit of time with him uh, down at GWS and and even through Exos and Athletes Performance and some stuff that I've done with them where their philosophies on um, using movement to facilitate an athlete's recovery and and facilitate, you know, improving joint range of motion and tissue uh, quality, I think, uh, has definitely improved me as a practitioner and a, as an S&C coach. Cool. So I just want to talk through um, a bit of your role as the uh, as the head of rehab and just talk about the kind of return to performance stuff that you've got going on down there. Do you just want to talk to us a little bit about um, maybe what it was like um, when you first came into the role and, and maybe what you initially wanted to put in place with regards to the kind of RTP protocols uh, and maybe what, maybe what it looks like now? Yeah. So my transition into head of rehab was based on uh, just we had a bit of a change up in um, in our high performance department and that was a role that they thought that I could uh, could transition well into given my medical background but also experience in S&C. And the biggest thing for us was we wanted to create the rehab environment as a team within the team. So create a culture and an environment that – challenge the athlete but also facilitated them to enjoy what they were doing because uh, you know unfortunately with rehab if you uh, if you do an ACL you can be in there for 10 to 12 months and unfortunately if you re-injure it then you're in there for another 10 to 12 months so all of a sudden an athlete who in AFL your lifespan is is basically five years uh, is the average lifespan less than 50 games so you only have a small window, so uh, we wanted to make sure that if a guy comes into rehab, that they're exposed to the best environment possible, an environment where they not only rehabilitate their injury, but they come out a better athlete holistically. So uh, for me, uh, first and foremost, it wasn't so much about changing or adjusting our return to performance plans and and our markers because they uh, they had already been really good and something that we'd uh, sat down and diligently kind of gone over a really structured process. It was more so about developing an environment where they felt comfortable to approach me and basically say, all right, Selwyn, this is 
what I feel I need to improve while I'm in rehab, whether it's they're in there for two weeks, four weeks, ten weeks. You know, I feel like I I need to work on this while I'm rehabbing my other injury. And for me, it was about creating a, a bit of a journey for the athlete. So uh, making sure that along that journey that you create goals and challenges and and whether that's uh, an individual one or even a team-based one because we tried to create that that rehab team mentality. So we had, you know, catch-ups with the rehab group or times where the rehab group would review what the main group were doing and present that, that back to them. So you always want to make sure that that group feels as part of the, the whole team as possible and if we can develop those uh those challenges and goals along the way, then once they integrate back into the team, they they feel like they're they were never left, uh, and hope hopefully they come out being a better athlete. Uh, as I said, holistically, not just from the injury that they suffered. Just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Selwyn. I uh, hope you're enjoying part one and uh, more training talk from Selwyn in part two. But just want to say a massive thanks to Coach Me Plus and Valt Performance, makers of the Nordboard, for sponsoring this episode today. As I say every week, uh, the, the podcast couldn't continue without them guys' support. Um, so really appreciate both Coach Me Plus and Valt Performance for sponsoring the episode today. So hope you enjoy part two. Um, would love to let would love you to let me know what you think of this episode and the podcast in general. Uh, all feedback is greatly appreciated. So I hope you enjoy part two, and I will speak to you soon. So, how much exposure are you giving the the rehab group to the to the main group? And the, the reason I, the reason I say that is because, from my experience, we had managers that that wouldn't let the main group go in the physio room unless they were uh, unless they were injured. And then vice versa. As soon as the lads were out on the pitch, injured lads, uh, injured lads couldn't get involved in that that main group um, for for whatever reason. Then we had other managers who it was very integrated, and they wanted the the rehab group to get involved with the the main group and and still feel part of the team. How does that work down there? Yeah, our, our philosophy is definitely integrate any time where possible now obviously you've got to make sure you're minimizing risk of, of putting the athlete in a compromised position but yeah, integrate where possible so if if I've got an athlete who's kind of um, in what we would call like our phase three return to function or sport specific and and they've done some uh, linear running that maybe intro change of direction and and the main group has a a light handball drill to, to open up with, I'll put that athlete into into that drill. It might only be a five or six minute drill, but you know, some some guys really that that motivates them even more to to work harder in the rehab environment. So if you can give them those little exposures to to what the main group's doing, I think it not only motivates them, but it also keeps them involved and it keeps them educated in in what the main group's doing because the main group is always evolving in regards to the drills they're doing and the type of movements that we're doing on the ground, flow patterns and things like that. So if you take them out for too long and don't expose them to any of that, then all of a sudden their first main training session session with the group, 
they're doing the wrong running patterns, they're missing kicks, they're missing handballs, and you might have rehabbed their injury, but they've actually come back a, uh, a worse footballer, so that, which is the last thing the last thing that I want. So, um, so yeah, we're definitely uh, integrate where possible. At the rehab, guys are typically always the first guys into the club and the last guys out, so um, they're, they're there yeah for long periods of time and and work very hard and so we'll be if we have a, a field session that maybe the main group starts at 10 a.m the rehab group would be out there at 8 30 a.m or 9 a.m and we'd be doing um our linear speed our run-throughs whether it's change direction so i try and get that that sort of stuff all out of the way before the main group start because then if a player is going to integrate into the main group, they've already done a full warm-up. They've done, they've ticked off their some of their GPS variables that we need to do, whether that's high-speed running or, or sprint meters. They've done their, their hard change of direction under supervision um, and in whether it's in a controlled or uncontrolled environment. And then it builds my confidence to go, all right, you're ready for that drill. Uh, and then the athlete also knows, yeah, I've, I feel good, you know. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Uh, and then, ba- basically, our guys, if they're not going into main training, would then roll straight into gym. Uh, so, majority of our guys, uh, yeah, would complete a field session. They might have to uh, have something, a quick bite to eat, and then they'd be in the gym for for one of their strength sessions. So you touched on the just the um, a couple of the phases that you that you. Um that you go through as a kind of return to performance. Do you just want to talk to us a little bit about about them phases and the markers that you hit uh, as the guy goes through yep. the, the, the the system? Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, we went through a kind of a big review of our rehab program a few years ago and, and tried to identify key areas that, that we wanted to focus on throughout each phase. So the phases uh, are just slightly dependent on the injury, of course, but we tried to identify basically a, a five-phase program. So where phase zero was basically immobilized rehab or recovery, so that's more focused at guys who, who have a surgical intervention. So if they're in a moon boot, they're in crutches and those things, that, that initial stage is based on, on recovery uh, it might be identifying kind of areas of individual focus um, if they've had other uh, other injuries in the past and then we'll load them as, as soon as possible basically uh, through their kinetic chain. So if they're in a moon boot, let's say a guy who's had a, an ankle um, an ankle reconstruction and he's in a moon boot, once uh, we've been given the all clear from the a surgeon from a recovery perspective, then he'll start doing some seated um, upper body loaded work or even some uh, some just machine loaded stuff to make sure that we're continuing to uh, to develop lower body strength, core strength, upper body strength all at the same time. Uh, and basically, that phase, the coming out of that phase is just based on a criteria goal. So. You know, the immobilized rehab majority of the time will be based on, all right, are you out of the boot or are you off crutches? Uh, and those sorts of things for guys who, uh, have soft tissue injuries, you know, typically that immobilized rehab isn't, isn't something that, uh, we need to touch on. So they'd go straight into phase one, which is our acute rehabilitation. So 
that's where we focus on our range of movement uh, and and basically movement competency of the the tissue or the joint that's been injured and a strong focus on our kinetic chain strength. So once again, if it's a guy who's had an ankle reconstruction, it might be uh, a dorsiflexion, plantar flexion or first MTP range of motion and, and setting them, setting criteria goals along that path. So uh, we collect um, dorsiflexion range of motion as a, uh, as a weekly uh, marker or throughout the season. So we have longitudinal data on all of our athletes from, from that, um, test. And basically, if they have surgery, we know what their, their pre-injury status was plus what their, their other limb was as well. So we've got that comparison, which then we can set goals along that, that, uh, that way. And then in that phase as well, you'd have gait retraining, some proprio and then they would start some form of uh, some calf loading. Once, uh, so with that end of phase one on, in particular for an ankle uh, rehab, we're, we're looking at them regaining their, their normal gait and pain-free range of motion and we'd like for them to be able to do double leg calf raises for greater than 30 repetitions just as a pure uh, tissue conditioning perspective uh, so that we just know that once we get into phase two, they should be able to start loading in a, in a single leg component. So our phase two looks at progressive loading. So that's when we really start to look at that t- tissue specific loading. So for an ankle or foot, that'd be calf, soleus, perineals, tibiant. And we, what I like to do is break it down into uh, exposing that tissue to, to different different loads so that might be different lengths speed but also uh, a thing that that I really like to work on is loading the tissue in the position of, of injury so uh, if the injury occurred in a forced um, plantar flexion and inversion perspective then I want to in this phase I want to really work on loading that joint in that position because when you've had an injury like that, you get disruption of so much tissue, mechanoreceptors, everything. The you know the, the joint just doesn't realise where it is in space. So once we start to load that tissue, not only is it about returning function to the joint and to the muscle, but it's also about uh, re-educating where that that body part is in the brain because you get that that disruption from uh, from major trauma so that's a big focus for us uh, in that um, in that phase two and making sure that basically each loading in that phase is athlete specific because uh, as we know every athlete has anatomical differences so uh, loading one guy with a certain exercise he might feel it in his gastroc whereas another guy might feel it in his soleus and and with guys with different ankle ranges of motion you might have to work in a range versus out of range and so we kind of uh, in that that phase two it's really honing in on what's specific for that athlete uh, to help uh, speed that that rehab process on as much as possible how much work are you doing on the non-injured leg if, if it's yes. a leg or a non-injured arm or whatever it may be. 
Yeah, so typically we'll do more of a um, a strength focus on that for to try and work on a bit of that neuro carryover. So um, we'll look at maybe doing two to three sets of uh, five to eight reps, depending on um, on the area and on the on the tissue. But yeah, we'll we'll continue to work on that uh, throughout the entire rehab process because. If we can get some carryover to the other limb, then uh, it'll definitely help to speed the rehab process up. Uh, but also, you know, the last thing you want is to develop an even uh, to to develop one leg that was injured and then forget about the other side. So um, yeah, it's definitely a continued focus for us. We might only do hit that twice a week, right? Whereas with um, with a lot of our rehab guys, they'll be doing anywhere between three to five gym sessions a week. Um, and, uh, yeah, that'll be a combination of, of strength um, and movement competency throughout that, especially with some of our kinetic chain loading. That's kind of uh, been a really big focus for us if, uh, if they've had a previous injury on another area. How can we strengthen that area so that when they – they come back from that ankle and foot, but maybe they used to have a groin injury. How how do we make sure that throughout the rehab process of that ankle, does the, the groin not um, aggravate once they get back to running? Mm-hmm. So you and mentioned – go on, mate. Sorry. Go on. No, no, you go. I was going to say um, you mentioned uh, gait retraining. Do you yeah. just want to talk to us a little bit about what that might look like? Yeah, so – Early stages, uh, we do, uh, I do a fair amount in the swimming pool, um, just to decrease a little bit of the joint load. Um, plus also I find that the, a lot of the players feel more comfortable in the, um, in the water. So we might, might be as simple as just working through that cyclic motion of making sure they're, they're getting, they're lifting their heel up towards their bum, getting good knee lift. Because a lot of guys will develop that uh, antalgic gait and kind of externally rotate the leg or the foot, uh, so we're we're just working on very simple mechanics. I don't try and tell them too much. I just kind of say, all right, I want you just to think about walking forward, um, and then I might get them walking backwards as well, walking kind of karaoke side to side. So it's all about. Uh, reintroducing the movement to to those joints and like I was saying before it's as much a joint injury as it is a brain injury so it's re-educating your brain talking to that joint again so if I try and give them too many cues of all right I want you to think heel to bum knee to sky uh bring your toe to the roof they just they I think they get more frustrated at me than they do about the actual exercise so we'll do even some uh, wall drills on it so you know like a wall posture a or a, a linear acceleration just on the side um, you know lunge variations and like I said going forwards backwards side to side and then I'll take that on to doing some mini tramp stuff and we have a um, a gymnastics tramp at uh, the club as well it's about uh, 15 meters long so even just doing walking a's um, marching A's on the tramp, uh, just gives them that different proprioceptive feedback. You know, they've got to stabilize a little bit better and, um, and it just reduces a little bit of that force before we then take them, um, onto the ground or we have even done some, 
uh, hopping and jumping in uh, in the Alter G. So uh, we use the Alter G definitely to integrate our plyometrics before running on ground, and that's been um, I think something handy because you can it's easy to adjust. You know, sometimes the swimming pool, depending on if you your belly button's under or chest's under, obviously it's always going to be different, but. Uh, on the Alter G, you basically put it on 70% body weight and it's always going to be 70% body weight and they're locked in at their hips. So uh, that's another one that we use for, for the gait retraining and, and just as a kind of almost uh, return to running progression. Mm-hmm. So as head of rehab, what is the, what's the next thing for you to, to kind of um, develop that's, that's maybe not lacking? That sounds harsh but something that maybe needs developing that hasn't happened over the last five years since you've been there i think you know you can never stop learning so for me it it's always uh trying to improve my ability at at, uh at conversations with the athlete and, and making sure that um you know what you're giving the athlete is uh is the right amount for them so i'm you know in this day and age unfortunately probably return to play decisions are, are the hardest thing to to be able to go yep he's ready or no he's not ready so it's developing that skill set that uh, allows the athlete to feel comfortable and confident enough in approaching me and saying yeah listen I, I think we're doing too much or uh, I think I can I can be pushed a little bit harder and every athlete is slightly different uh so you know knowing when and and uh where to kind of push and pull is is definitely a skill that can only come from from just continuing to 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 converse with the athlete uh the the data uh data analysis side of things is uh is is getting bigger and bigger so i'm pretty fortunate that i've got uh some pretty smart guys around me uh that uh, that helped to facilitate that, and uh, one guy in particular, Nick Murray, uh, who is uh, works with our GPS system and has done some work under Tim Gabbett. He's been uh, he's been really good with you know helping to develop those return to play uh, guidelines and markers from a GPS perspective. As you know, that's that's something that's been huge uh, at the moment, and so continuing to work on those elements, I think will not only help myself develop but help the rehab program develop so uh yeah hopefully uh hopefully the next couple of years will continue to uh will continue to prosper nice so who who are your just before i let you go who are your kind of go-to people that you that you look to for for info and to pick the brains of uh, there's some, uh, we're pretty fortunate here in the AFL that you've got, uh, some pretty smart guys mm-hmm. who, Absolutely. uh, who, yeah, I can, and everyone's really forthcoming in regards to just having a conversation. Obviously, we don't share too much of the ins and outs of, of day to day, but, uh, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate to work with, um, with Brett Burton. He's now at Adelaide Crows and Matt Hass. Uh, Damien Austin, our current high performance managers, uh, been really good as well. He came from the Sydney Swans. Um, pretty fortunate to know David Joyce and Lockie Wilmot, uh, at GWS and, and, uh, Phil Merriman from Hawthorne, like, uh, and, uh, Dan DePasqua at the Melbourne Storm. They, these guys are 
they're all working in really good environments and and really collaborative um, environments as well. So yeah, just in Australia, they're guys that I definitely uh, chat to a lot. But um, outside of that, you know, Bill Knowles has always been someone that I've kind of looked at as um, as some, with some really good uh, return to performance uh, guidelines and plans and. Matt Jordan um, as well from uh, from the Canadian uh, Sports Institute and Jeremy Shepherd who used to uh, work here in Australia. I've been really fortunate to to um, to yeah to learn from those guys and but yeah these days there's just so much so many opportunities to to learn from great people. I'm pretty fortunate to that uh, where we are here in Australia we've got some of the the best minds going around. I think. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, I'd agree. So where can people um, get in touch with you? You're obviously a Twitter man as well, which where I stalked you. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I don't uh, – I'd, I'd use it a little bit. I, I had um, a few videos that, we, that I put up this year of just some of um, – the return to play exercises that that we use with different um, different injuries. So I'm just at Selwyn Osteo uh, on Twitter, and then uh, yeah, if anyone wants to get me on email, it's just s griffith at lions.com.au. Uh, and yeah, I'm more than happy to to chat to anyone about anything. Uh, as I said, I'm always keen to learn and and keen to meet new people. So uh, yeah, would love to hear from anyone. Great. Well, I'm um, I'm going to let you go. I'm just conscious of time. So I really appreciate you uh, giving all your insight into uh, into what you do down at the Lions. So um, we'll keep in touch, mate, and uh, thanks again for your time. Yeah, no worries, Rob. Thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me on. No worries, mate. Speak soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to episode 109 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Selwyn. So I thought it was great to get someone on who although may seem to be in a kind of traditional role, uh, has come to it uh, via a different route and get their take on on how they think a little bit differently uh, because of their background, so it was great to have Selwyn on. So massive thanks again to Coach Me Plus and Vald Performance for sponsoring the episode today. Hopefully some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, so make sure you keep tuning into the podcast and, and listening and, and hope you enjoy um, what's coming up. So thanks a lot again for your support as always and I will speak to you in episode 110.